0: Okay, morning, nice to see you all. We're going to talk about the nowhere between two somewheres this morning. Um, I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, but um, it was about uh, six months ago, uh, can you believe it, that I, I shared a word about the embryonic things that I believe what God wanted to do in us and through us, and I want to kind of revisit That and talk about where I think we're at in that journey and that process. Uh, But I also want to talk about this phrase that Paul has used a number of times and nowhere between two somewheres. Um, And I want to speak into it because it feels like one of the better ways to describe where we're at right now. Um, Certainly, for a lot of people, anyway, you you might be the outlier, and if that's you, enjoy it. (laughs) Um, But it certainly describes how. I've been feeling for quite a while. Um, And as I've talked with various people over the weeks and I kind of share uh, how I'm feeling, uh, it seems to resonate with them. I've used other words like flat, uh, indifferent, uh, apathetic. uh, Not really words I would generally use to describe me at all in general, but of course we're not in a general place or a general time or we're in a very Interesting time and place. And um so yeah, so so if you resonate with that, then uh this is for you. If you don't, like I say, enjoy not being there. Um but I think at some point in time we all get to that place. And I want to try and um well I actually asked I asked Paul earlier this week, I said, Okay, how do I and I've talked to him a lot about it, how do I pray out of this place and how do I get myself out of this place? And um I want to share really some of that with you, uh, some of the things he shared with me to share with you and some of the things as well. But there are, um, hopefully to give you some insight as to where we're at right now, um, both as a family spiritually, as well as in a sense practically and how that affects the two because they, they do impact each other. Um, because there are two aspects of this sense of being a nowhere between two. somewheres. there's a practical aspect and a spiritual aspect. Practically, of course, we live in these very unprecedented, I know we're fed up with that word, and uncertain times and, you know, everybody, how many people are getting excited about what they may or may not get told on tomorrow, which may actually not happen until two weeks time, which may not happen until four weeks time and even then you may not, you you know this place. Um, And this is the place we've lived now for, well, I guess pushing 14, 15 months this place of uncertainty, this place of waiting for somebody else to apparently tell you what you can and cannot do and how you can and cannot and how you should and should not live your life, which is very new it was as a nation. Um, Well, actually, interestingly, it's not very new it was as a nation. It's just because we've been told how we're meant to live in all sorts of ways. You've been told for many years you should eat five a day. You've been told for many years you should drink so much alcohol. It's just it's never come with the same messaging behind it as what you should or should not do. So we've been recommending to live in certain ways all our lives. It's just there's never been a particular way of getting that message across that has caused you to hear it in a different way and caused many people. I mean, if I don't want to dare think about it, but if you think about it, if that same messaging was applied to different things, we wouldn't have a million cases of obesity in our nation. But I don't really want to live in that way. But anyway, I only say that to let you know that we are, We are told what the should and should nots be all the time, it's just been coming a different way. So when you think about the should and should nots, you've got to think about it in its whole, not just in this little bit. But let's not. But on a a practical front, we're in this strange time. But but spiritually, where are we at? Well, before I can talk about that, I need to look back at the somewhere we've been to explain more about the nowhere we find ourselves. So let me just remind you of some things that we've said a number of times over this last 15 months. First of all Jeremiah 6:16 6, this is what the Lord says stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So we've talked about this yeah the last 15 months I guess excuse me this idea of standing at the crossroads and and looking about asking, so the ancient path is all about the things that you've done before that brought your life, and then looking and asking where the good way is, and walking in it, and then you find rest for yourself. So there's this whole sense about standing at crossroads, that the amounts of decisions you have had to make, has just that you've never had to make before, is increased, and it will keep on. That's not going to go away, by the way. The pressure, the peer pressure of being a certain way, won't go away. Because although it may be that some things become advisory rather than mandatory, the pressure from those around you to make it mandatory will probably remain. Unfortunately. So you're going to have to get used to being at a crossroads and making your decision based on what you think is right. Which is actually called taking responsibility for your life and growing up. So it's not a bad thing. It's just we've never seen it in this way. It's actually a great thing for the kingdom of God because if the church can grasp it and understand that they've got to take responsibility for I'm at a crossroads and this is where I'm going to go and actually rather than listen to somebody tell them what they've got to do, take responsibility and work it out for themselves, that's called growing up, which is a fabulous thing. So we shouldn't really be running away from it. We should be thankful for it because it's causing us to go, okay, I've I've got to do this now. But of course for many people, that's difficult because they're not used to it. They're just used to being told what to do the whole life, in terms of church life and what they should believe and how they should act and how they should be and what the Bible says that they've been told what to believe. But now they're having to actually work it out for themselves. So it's a beautiful thing. It's also a difficult thing. And Isaiah 43 as well, uh, again, for the last year or so, we've been here. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I am making road through the desert, rivers. In the badlands. And, and out of this verse in particular. We talked about this embryonic season. That I felt we were in. How much. Uh, how there was much new life in the womb of God. And of course just practically. We've we've seen this kind of boom. Of of real life embryos. Of babies amongst us. Which goes against the grain. Because nationally the birth rate has gone down in this time. But with us. It's like gone through the roof. I've never known so many babies. Been born at the same time. There's like five or six or somewhere around there in terms of ones that were on the way or ones are already here. It's it's wonderful. And I sense that very clearly we moved into this new era. There was much that God was birthing in us and through us. And we talked about the birthing of relationships, businesses, jobs, connections, ministries, flows of finance, opportunities, openings. And I still passionately believe that that's true. But I want to talk about why we feel like we feel where we're at right now and try and understand it a little bit better. Uh, Because when I talk about these things, perhaps uh, some of us had an inkling that something in life might be about to be born and be born afresh. Uh, I certainly did. There were some things that cropped up and started, and I'm like, "Oh, that's fascinating, that's exciting. And then it feels like it's just kind of gone flat. But it's like when a couple have been trying to conceive and they found out they're pregnant, there's lots of excitement around it. They can't wait to tell everybody, and people suddenly get new roles they've never had before. Suddenly, there's, there's grandmas and granddads, and aunties and uncles and cousins that have just kind of come into, come into place. Suddenly, one embryo creates all sorts of new roles. And I recognize that perhaps some of you might have identified something new. You might have felt like God was birthing something in you, and you were pregnant in the spirit, as it says of Mary. And if that's you, you might also feel like I do, that you're in this nowhere between two somewheres. but think about it, that's normal. Think about a pregnancy. So, if you continue the analogy, then maybe we're in the second trimester. So the first trimester, you get pregnant, it's all very exciting, you tell everybody, it's like woo woo woo, okay, and you throw up and all that, and you can't eat anything, and everything smells and all that, so it's not all great, but but there's some wonderful things. And then the third trimester, you're like, okay, it's coming, it's like, and and you're excited and you're ready. But then there's this middle bit, like month, four, five, and six, when it's like, you've told everybody, but it's too early to decorate the nursery. And you don't want to buy anything because you're not quite sure yet, and you don't, so there's this like, little lull, when nothing really much happens. But once you get to kind of months seven, eight, and nine, it's like okay, now, now you're making a, a birth plan and you, you're meeting the midwife more often, and these things, and it's going to be a reality to you. But in months four, five, and six, it's like you just get bigger. I wonder if spiritually, that's that, that's not where we're at for some people, for people who felt like there was something birthed and something coming, and then it's going to be quiet. It's not that it's gone quiet; you're just in the second trimester. God has not stopped. God has not stopped doing what God's doing. We've got to remember that we inherit the promises through faith and patience. If God started it, then he'll bring it to completion. If God's birthed something, it will come to full term. But here's the thing. When you have a baby in the natural, there's a pretty set gestational period of nine months. Give or take a few weeks. But of course, in the animal world, it does not work like that. So an African elephant carries her young for 645 days. At least she'll get some use out of maternity wear. So an elephant, 645 days. A giraffe, 435 days. But if you're a kangaroo, it's just 42 days. And a lion, 108 days. So, so when God thinks about gestational periods, the amount it takes from conception to birth, he's not thinking, nine months, we go, nine months. He's going, no, sometimes it might be 645 days. Sometimes it can be 42 days. A mouse is like 19 days. It's only little, I suppose, isn't it? But anyway... But, but the point is, like, and I guess the elephant takes a bit longer because it's a bit bigger, I don't know. But, like, maybe, maybe there's something in that, though. Maybe if it takes longer, it's just going to be bigger. Maybe we should celebrate it's taking a while. Maybe. Maybe it's just getting bigger in us. I like that thought. I'm going to grab that one. But I, I share that information because it'll take as long as it'll take for God to birth in you. But we inherit the promise through faith and patience faith and patience and for those things to come past it will require both faith and patience so I want to remind you if you've sent something felt something God has not stopped all right it's there but you've got to keep on believing it and keep on reaching out to it and keep on praying for it because if God started it he will bring it to completion now it may be of course that you were going, well, that's great, Adam, but I didn't identify anything new or feel that anything new were going on. Well, for that, I need to tell you about this lady. Uh, This lady is called Clara Dolan. And in that picture, she's seven and a half months pregnant. But as you can see, how pregnant are you, Claire? Is that about seven and a half months? Uh, All right, there you go. So Claire's, uh, not let everybody look at Claire's tummy because we don't want to do that, but <laughs> my, my point being, it's fairly obvious that Claire is pregnant with a baby. Yeah, yeah. That lady, you would have no idea. She had no idea. Let me read the article from just a few months ago from The Guardian. When Clara Dolan, then 22, woke up at 4 a.m. on the day she was due to start her new job, she thought her agonizing stomach cramp signaled her period being back with a vengeance, as she put it. She had been taking the pill with no break for more than six months, but had stopped about two weeks before. The waves of pain left her pale and shaking, but she didn't feel she could call in sick on her first day. So she took some paracetamol on her mother's advice, caught the bus, then the tube from home into the city. Hours later, she was in Hampstead's Royal Free Hospital, cradling a newborn baby girl, completely healthy and carried to town. Dolan had given birth by herself in the bathroom of her flat after being sent home sick from work. A neighbor had heard her screams of labor and called an ambulance. When Dolan rang her mother and told her to come to the maternity ward, the reply was, but you weren't pregnant this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you don't feel pregnant doesn't mean you're not pregnant. Let me carry on reading a bit of the article. The phenomenon of a woman carrying a baby to term without knowing she's pregnant is more common than you might think. A 2002 paper published in the British Medical Journal estimated it occurs in about one of every 2,500 pregnancies, suggesting 320 cases in the UK every year. Now, that might freak some of you out, so let's not worry about that. The point being is this, that's true spiritually. That's true spiritually. If it's possible in the natural, it must be possible in the spirit of God. And I know many of you, I, I told a couple people this story, and they went, well, how is that even possible? I don't know it's possible, but it's possible. Just because you don't feel pregnant doesn't mean you are not pregnant. And I think there are some of us who feel like we've missed it because we've, we've not had that sense that anything new has been birthed in us. We've, we've gone through this time, where oh, we, we've heard all these messages, and we're going, but nothing's changing, and nothing's new, and nothing's happening. And I'm going, okay, just because you don't feel it doesn't mean to say it's not happening. Just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not there. I want to remind you that we inherit the promises by faith and patience. And faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So as we enter this new era, which we are just, yeah, we won't go there, but we are going to enter it. There will be a birth of relationships, businesses, jobs, connections, ministries, flows of finance, opportunities, and openings. I am assured of it, but it will take both faith and patience. And those of us who are aware of it need the patience and those of us who were not need the faith. So you need one, well you need both really, but you need to highlight one or the other. And of course it would be easy to look at this time and think it's a barren time, that we're in some kind of wilderness where nothing's really going on and everything's just super hard. Well yeah, it is. It is super hard. We are in an unprecedented time, a challenging time for everyone. And even those who believe they are strong and are able and not finding it easy. And of course, when you're in a wilderness, it's easy to complain. Just, just read the story in Exodus. When you're in a wilderness, it's easy to complain. But Phil's absolutely right. First of all, we're not in a wilderness. It just feels like it. We're not in a wilderness. It just feels like it. So although it might feel like there's not much going on, it might feel like not much is happening. actually there is all sorts of things going on, whether you see it or feel it or not. The critical thing, of course, when it feels like you're in a wilderness, is to keep journaling and being honest, do whatever it takes to keep things before Jesus, be transparent about yourself, go back and listen to things that have helped you, things that have brought you strength and encouragement, Ask those you trust to pray with you and for you. Shut the door. Are those things that, that don't help deal with the negative? All things I am having to do myself. Last week, somebody had a, a picture for me and, and shared with me. They felt the Lord wanted me to do to, to take stock. Do a stock check of my life in this season. What I had stored, gained, learned, sacrificed, sold, and received. So I did. I took myself off and I just did a stock check. Okay, what, what have I sold since January? Okay. Yeah. All the things that came to mind. What have I received? What have I learned? And then I kept adding things to this list, particularly the list of things I'd received. He kept reminding me of things. And I'm going, oh yeah, there's that. Oh yeah, there was that. Oh yeah, there was that. Oh yeah. Suddenly I'm like, I'm not in a wilderness. Suddenly it changed my perspective because I just took a stock check of where I was. It was hugely helpful to me as a reminder. I read back through my journal from January, which, of course, if you've got a journal, you can do. If you don't, you can't. But if you've got one, you can. And you can see, and you can go, oh, yeah, look what God did. You can remind yourself. That's one of the beauties of journaling. You've got a record to remind yourself of what God's done. We need to make sure we're doing whatever it takes to keep ourselves going at this time. At the same time, I sense many of us have been beating ourselves up because of the things we feel we are not doing. But this is a time to go easy on yourself. It's a time to go easy on yourself. It's not a time to put weight on yourself. And it's not a time to put weight on other people. Even the strong are struggling in this time. But we've got to keep going in faith and patience. But listen, in this season, Whatever gives you life, healthy life, you've gotta do that. Don't get so bound up, and that might be what, (laughs) there's ways of finding a life through Jesus that might be different from how you found life previously. It might be a little bit different. It might not look like the traditional ways you found life, or it might look like those ways. But we've got to find ways to find life. And if that means there's some things you're not doing at this moment, but you are finding life, that's okay. You've just got to find some life. So I'm aware that I'm listening to a number of people and they're going, well, I'm, I'm doing this and, and that's good, but I'm not doing A, B, C, or D. And, well, okay, but are you finding life? Is it bringing you life? Is it helpful? Okay, well, let, let's, for this, let's just not worry about that for now. Because actually, this time we're in right now, You cannot underestimate the effect the last 15 months has had on you. You cannot underestimate it. Particularly if you enjoy being with people and you are an extrovert. And by that I mean you get fueled by other people. If you've been fueled, if normally you are fueled by other people, your levels of fuel are empty. Almost at the bottom. See, if you're an introvert, it's been a nice time, hasn't it? Satin Garden on your Todd, fantastic. But if you're the opposite of that, it's a terrible time. It's a terrible time. And if you're a person who gets fueled by being around other people, then me telling you to go sit on your own and read your Bible for an hour is probably the most unhelpful thing to do. What you need to do is get around with other people and be with people and just talk together, perhaps. Talk about where you're at, share what's going on, share about what Jesus is doing. That's what I mean by not putting weights on ourselves. We've got to do what brings us life. And that'll be different for each of us in this time. Different for each of us. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 6. For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the work you have done for him? He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve his beloved ones for the glory of his name. But we long to see you passionately advance until the end, And you find your hope fulfilled. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. But follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. You see, this is where the stock check comes in really helpful. I was recalling all the ways I had given out. All the ways I demonstrated his love to serve his beloved ones as best I could. And as I remembered, I recalled that he remembered. But then I was able to recall all the ways others had demonstrated his love to me and recalling all the ways I'd changed and grown. God is the God who sees. How can he forget? But maybe we forget. Maybe we've got to take a stock check, remind ourselves of everything that we have stored, gained, learned, sacrificed, sold, received. And then we mustn't let our hearts, allow our hearts to grow dull or lose our enthusiasm. But follow the example of those who fully receive what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. You realize some seasons are just about putting one foot in front of the other. Some seasons are just about putting one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it's just about keeping walking. And I think that if we keep walking in this season right now that we're in, we're doing well. Just keeping walking. You're doing well. If you can do more than that, hey, that's fantastic. That's amazing. But that that will be very few people, I think, at this time who are actually able to do more than just keep walking. But if you can put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward in some way, shape or form, you are doing well. Stop beating yourself up because you're not changing the world right now and start patting yourself on the back because you're doing all right and you're surviving. Because there's plenty of people that are not even surviving. I think they've got to take the weight right off and just encourage each other. Of course, if you can do more, fantastic. Listen, some practical things I highly recommend that we do. Um, Praise be the Lord our God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. We've got to be increasing the amount of time we spend sharing our burdens, sharing with each other, talking, writing, praying, expressing what's on the inside of us to the right people who can help us. It's vital we do it in helpful ways, sharing with those who can bring wisdom and then listening and acting on that wisdom. Don't just verbally vomit over somebody who do not know what to do with it. Okay? Do it with somebody who can help you in it, who can take you somewhere. When you verbally vomit all the, the rubbish over somebody who do not know what to do with it, you just leave the vomit on the floor and both of you can still have the smell of it. That's not helpful to either of you. But sharing it with somebody who knows how to clean it up and sort it out, the smell goes away, you both feel better. Of course, that means you've got to be talking to somebody. Proverbs eight thirty four: Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. And of course, Proverbs 8 is all about wisdom. So, so this is about the need to daily listen, watch, and wait to catch and operate out of wisdom. That is not going to go away. So who's speaking wisdom into your life? Matthew 6. Give us today our daily bread. We've got our provision for all we're called to do. But we've got to seek it daily. Daily seeking provision from him. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. Who are your encouragers? Who have you got around you that will encourage you? Who are you encouraging? All these things are really important. They're all, they're all tools that will be hugely helpful in successfully navigating where we're at right now. Sharing. Seeking wisdom. Seeking provision, encouraging each other. It's really, really important. And it's really important because, sadly, I don't think we're going to leave this place of nowhere anytime soon. I don't think we're going to leave this place of nowhere anytime soon. I pray we do, but I don't think we will. And that's for a number of reasons. Because although we may exit the restrictions in the coming weeks, the effect of those restrictions and lockdowns are heading towards us like a tsunami. It's going to be very sobering and painful to hear of the terrible effects that this season has had on society as a whole, but especially on the poorest in our land and in our world. I was going to read you some stats about the effects uh, that people predict uh, that will be coming in the next few years, but I decided it would be too much for some of you. So I decided not to read them. But it's sobering. And um, I only say it to warn you. If you think there's good news coming down the road, there's not. There's just going to be more and more bad news of what this time has meant. So we have to learn to live in it. And I don't have any joy in sharing that with you. But I do it because I, we've got to learn to live in that place and not look to getting out of this nowhere place by thinking, well, when this happens, and when this happens, and when that happens, I'll be in a somewhere place. Then we've got to learn to thrive in the nowhere place, because then when you get to the somewhere place, you really take off. we have got to thrive in the nowhere place. And so one of those things is doing those four, four things about sharing, about encouraging, about seeking provision, about all those things, all the, the ancient paths, the things we know to do, Although we might do it in slightly different ways. And then this thing we've been talking about for a little while, which is this thing about rest. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 89, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The Sabbath, of course, was instigated, and I'm going to at some point expand this more fully because I've... I've been trying to live this in a whole new way this year, and I've, I've done lots of reading and pondering about it, but not quite ready to just share it yet. But I'm going to in more detail at some point. But the Sabbath was instigated in the creation of countercasts. The creation accounts have God ordering creation for six days and then resting on the seventh, and on the seventh day, He sits back and enjoys it all. And then it's commanded not that word, commanded. It's a must, not a should, in terms of the legislation of God. Uh, that when they come out of Egypt he gives them these words Sabbath is about rest but it's about resting in God but we seem to have forgotten that rest was A, commanded and B, we've made it something it was never intended to be so that the context of this command is that they've been used to working as slaves seven days a week 365 days a year and God's going okay no you're human beings not human doings which we've, we've heard many times But listen, Sabbath is meant to be a rest from producing, a rest from the consumerism and the drive to be fruitful and create and make something and tick something off the to-do list. Sabbath is about enjoying what you've made the previous six days. There's a thing in the Bible called the first mention principle, which is when something gets mentioned first in the Bible through it, you get the main idea right there. And then every other mention kind of builds on it and expands it. And of course, it's first mentioned in Genesis 1, which is what does God do? God sits back and enjoys what he's made. So Sabbath rest is about enjoying what has been created, not doing more jobs. But it's very difficult. It's very difficult to sit and be still and enjoy See, if you, if you went to be with a Jewish family on Shabbat, you would find that all the food had been made the night before, all of it. It'd all be prepared, it'd all be ready, and they'd light a candle probably at sunset on the Friday night, and they would remind themselves of the story of Jesus, and they'd remind themselves the story of their people, and then they'd just hang out together. And they'd get up the next morning and breakfast. Nobody would get up to make breakfast or do the washing up. It would already be done. Nothing would be washed up, it would just be left and waited because they wanted to enjoy being together and enjoy what they create, And then they might go for a walk together or go for a meal together or go do something together, but they wouldn't have a jobs list to do. They'd just enjoy what they create. And yet we find it so hard to just enjoy what we have already created. Most of us have never left Egypt. Because Egypt is this place Metaphorically, where you just work all the time and you are a slave to consumerism and capitalism. Most of us have never left that place. And it's not about having a day, it's about having a whole life like that, where you are no longer a slave to consumerism and capitalism. That's really what Sabbath rest is all about. The striving, the creating. The making, the pushing, the forcing. Let me finish on these words. If you watch your step, oh, that one. If you watch your step on the Sabbath, and don't use my holiday for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. You see, see, see resting. Sabbath rest is about learning to live in a place where we are not looking to gain a personal advantage and where we do not engage in business as usual, where we stop the running here and there so we are free to enjoy God and each other. But the key line is this. If you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day a celebration. We must learn to see resting with the Father as a joy. We must learn to sit and celebrate the life we have already created. We must stop the striving and the pushing to something more and the running hard and recognize that God does not live in that space. There is something about the celebration of the life you already have that is key. Celebration of what he has already done that is key. Resting in how he's already transformed you sitting in the garden and enjoying the lawn you've already got rather than stressing that it needs cutting. Enjoying the flowers that are already there rather than worrying about all the ones that need de But you see, we've convinced ourselves that our world revolves around us and that if we don't do these things then the world will fall apart. Sabbath is difficult because it takes the ego out of you. Sabbath is difficult because it means you don't impact the world and you have to trust that God does not need you That is why it's so tough. Because it deals with your ego. It deals with the fact that you are not needed to make this world go round. Although he loves to partner with you, he doesn't need you. And we all want to feel needed. We all want to feel as though this world cannot function without us in it. And our skills and our talents and our abilities and our life. And hey, if I wasn't here, the world would surely fall apart. None of us say it, of course, but most of us think like that. So resting is about learning that the world will do perfectly well without you, although he loves to have you in it. Resting is about realizing that nothing will fall apart that can't be fixed if you're not in it. Resting is about learning that there is somebody else who can pick it up if you're not there. Resting is about trusting you're in a community and a family. Trusting that it's not all about you. This is why we find it so tough, you see, because it hits us in the very core of our being. That's why we find it difficult. And so lots of people want to go, what do I need to do to get out of nowhere? And I go, well, just realize it's not about you. And they go, well, I don't like that idea. What can I do? Realize that the Lord sits enthroned above the flood. As it says in Psalm 29, I think. So we are in this place of the nowhere between two somewheres, and we're not gonna move into this somewhere place which is, which is really this kind of new era and it's gonna be exciting and thrilling and we're gonna see all kinds of fantastic things but we're in the second trimester now but we will get to the third and we will get to where it is and it will be fabulously exciting. But right now, right now we're in this different place We've got to learn to live in that place because it may well be that in times to come there will be other nowhere moments. And if you've already learned to live in it when you get there you're going to be way ahead of everybody else. Which means you can bring light and life to them. Which is what you call to do. So I don't... You know, I don't enjoy this place at all. I don't enjoy it. But for me... It's not really about me enjoying it. It's about going, God, how am I meant to become more like you in it? How am I meant to live to bring life? How am I meant to express more of who you are in this place? And what can I do to help those around me through this place? So I want to encourage you. Do those four things. Be aware of it. But just know, learn, learn, I will rest. More and more in him. Amen.